Hi, and welcome to the Stefan Levera podcast focused on Bitcoin and Austrian economics. Today, my guest is Matt O'Dell. He is a co-host of the Rabbit Hole Recap podcast series, so make sure you check that out. And his co-host is Marty Bent, who also appeared on my podcast uh, on the earlier episode, number 49. Matt's a guy in the space who provides good updates and analysis, so I wanted to get him on the show. So here is my discussion with Matt. Welcome to the show, Matt. I'm a big fan of your work with Tales from the Crypt and Rabbit Hole Recap. That makes two of us happy to be here. So, Matt, what I see, what you're doing is really putting Bitcoin into practice for a lot of people because when more technical members of you know Bitcoin community talk about things, it can be put in a very technical sense and then sometimes that can be kind of difficult to break that down into how should I, the individual, actually go and do that? And so I think some of the material that you share, both on Twitter and also just from your commentary that you offer on Rabbit Hole Recap, I think it it just helps offer some of those resources for noobs. Um, And I think, yeah, it might be good to just talk through some of those um, kind of typical setup ways because we face that challenge of trying to get people into Bitcoin, but then get them in the right way. Do you, I, I'm sure you sense that same challenge as well. Yeah, you know, it's, it almost feels like we have, we have two completely, like a, a, a completely different situations where you have, you either have one side of the spectrum where pe- people are getting information that is just completely incorrect, um, that is just not based in reality whatsoever, and is pushed because of ulterior motives. And then you have the other side of the spectrum where everything is based on actual hard observations and facts, but it's just super technical and just way too dense for anyone to actually reasonably get through, especially if you're a beginner. So I try and I've been trying for a couple of years now to bridge that gap in between where you take some of these technical things and you distill them down to like what's really important. What are the key things that people should take out of um, about uh, take out of these different scenarios and these different uh, strategies? Yeah, exactly. And I think that the challenge for most is people are just time poor. They don't have the time to go and read the correct way to you know to go and let's say. Uh, store their bitcoins correctly run everything using their own full node etc it it, in practice it tends to be unless they're already very highly technical and very you know having a lot of time you kind of they have to sort of start in a very basic way but doing those basic way things tends to erode their privacy and so on and it's you know it's also it's one of those industries where individuals that are not necessarily uh, the most ethical or, um, you know, the, the or most morally conscious um, t- tend to, they can make a lot of money steering you in the wrong direction. And not only that, then you have on the opposite side, you have the people that, that do know this stuff that is, you know, the, the, the wizards out there and, and they, they're too busy to really interact with beginners or interact in any way that can can um you know they just don't have the time everyone is time poor right so they they don't have the time or the the willingness to to uh to break these things down in into noob friendly 
uh, noob friendly content in general. You know, one of the things I love about your podcast is I feel like you you strike that balance really well. Like you can have a you your your podcast is great for someone like me who's who's been in the space for what feels like forever and as well as someone who's you know two months two months in um you really are able to distill it down to to the important things and in in a digestible way an accessible way oh well thank you man that's very kind of you i i find sometimes i'm going to uh into the details as well sometimes i talk to you know normal people in the real world and sometimes they listen to an episode or two but they just think whoa it's just like too much so it takes a certain level of technical ability and a certain enthusiasm to go and learn to really uh, get into it. Yeah. So I think one thing for you, like, and maybe this is like a question for you as well. Like, how do you, what's kind of the, someone's totally new. What are the sort of resources that you would point them towards to try to get them up to speed in a way that's not going to totally turn them off? Um, while at the same time pointing them in the right direction. Okay, so that's not an easy question. Um, it it's definitely easier than it was before. Uh, I mean, to to start it off, there before we had the block, uh, the you know the block crypto dot com, uh, Mike Dudas's news company. Uh, there was there was probably not a single. Uh, news website that I could like wholeheartedly recommend. It was like if you if you went to a website, um, like if I said like, oh, CoinDesk is like relatively reputable. There's still like sixty percent of their articles are like complete absolute trash, you know. And and the block like kind of still has yep. some. They like, you know, they release like press releases that they shouldn't be releasing because, you know, it's just for some garbage project. But but it's it's most it's mostly there, um, you know. I really like that we have this new crop of of high quality podcasts. Um, I I tend to I tend to I, I personally am a podcast addict. You know, it's one of the reasons it was such a good fit for me to go into podcasts myself. And I feel like I'm so comfortable with Marty, even though it's like the first time I've ever um, recorded on air was like a year ago. Um, so, so the podcast format is, has, is a really good format for me to learn. Um, so I like, I do like recommending the podcast and, and I, we also have like this, this, um, you know, solid group of podcasts where I can basically wholeheartedly recommend and not worry about any, you know, I can say to someone, listen to every episode of Stefan's podcast there's not like a single episode there that I would feel like they would be getting steered in the wrong direction. Like that's the biggest, the, the, there might be some that are too technical, but at least I know that there's none. It's extremely difficult recommending something in this space. If, if there's a potential where they go down that route and they, 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 they get steered into the wrong direction. They, they, they get steered into scams. They get steered into uh, certain sketchy situations because of either the ads or because of of um, the content not being, uh, you know, you, you you 
people need to have a certain amount of editorial integrity in this space. Otherwise, the content gets overrun by horrible advice and, and horrible um, uh, just content in general. Uh, so, you know, the podcast, the podcast, I always say noted. I have you guys, I always say, I obviously tell them they should listen to Rabbit Hole. Marty's interview series is like fantastic. Uh, the guys at Block Digest are like constantly putting out good content. Uh, Reckless Review I, I like, but they only have three episodes so far. We'll see if they keep it up. Um, and then like, so like we have stuff like what Bitcoin did, for instance, we're like, I would never say to someone, listen to every single episode of what Bitcoin did. Any of them I could wholeheartedly recommend. No, there's like, there's like a decent amount of episodes there that are like kind of questionable and kind of could lead people into the wrong direction. Um, but I, you know, I, 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 I do like what Peter's doing over there. He has a lot of solid pots. Um, so where, where do I send people for their first intro into Bitcoin. I mean, I, I like the Nakamoto Institute's uh, catalog. Um, I like Jameson's page, Bitcoin.page. I tend to send them in that direction. The Bitcoin standard made it way easier. You know, it kind of depends on who your audience is. If it's an older audience, I tend to point them in the in the direction of Bitcoin standard. Um, if it's a younger person, I tend, tend tell I tend to tell them you know create a new NIM account on Twitter, jump into Twitter. You know you gotta. Twitter takes at least six to a, six months to a year to like properly distill that shit down and and see who you really want to be following and listening to. It's like a really active process. Um, I like to tell people that you know you can sit on the sideline and try and learn as much as possible before you buy any but really you're not going to learn anything until you buy a little bit too because you have to have you know you have to have some skin in the game like most of the stuff I've learned and I don't know about you most of the stuff I've learned has been because I kind of recklessly jumped in and then had to like learn on the fly like how to not lose my money <laughs> what am I investing in what the hell is going on here um and if you don't actually play with it in your hands, it just never really, um, it's really hard to visualize any of these concepts or, or strategies or anything like that. Yeah, my, my sense on that is it's very personality dependent, right? So some people are very perfectionist. They have to know every little thing before they go into it. And then there are others who are more like, ah, just, just jump in and I'll just learn as I go and wing it, right? So there's different aspects there, but I 100% agree that really you learn by doing. And so you need to just, you know, get your hands dirty and try to run, you know, run Bitcoin Core, try to run these different pieces of software. Um, but then obviously because it's such a space with so many scams and distractions, people can end up running the wrong things. So, yeah, but I think your recommendations there are really great. Um, I think ultimately it comes down to sort of pointing people towards following the right people. So let's say, you know, like pointing them towards the Nakamoto Institute, pointing them towards certain journalists in the space or certain podcasts in the space who you kind of trust a little bit more than some of the others in the space. Um, might also be good to talk about what are some common you know, mistakes and pitfalls because obviously you and I, we've been around in this game for a little while. Um, what are some what are some common uh, errors that a newbie can fall into? You know, I 
And, and just to go back on the previous question, uh, just for a second. Oh, yeah, um, go on. You know, yeah, and and it's it's great that we have content of on all different platforms now. You know, way more content than we had before. You know, one of the things I've been doing a lot lately is is trying to get more people to use wasabi. And what I've found is some people like watching YouTube videos, so I, I link them to a guy uh, four hundred two payment required on on Twitter, who yeah, has he you. has YouTube videos. Some people like reading the text, so then I just link them to a text guide. And then a lot of people like listening, so I link, link them to, to your podcast with uh, Nopara. Um, and, and so no matter what type of learner you are there, you're able to like, have a pretty good, solid introductory into, into Wasabi. But the, the crazy thing there is that's from three different content producers. So it's really hard to then transfer that into some kind of one-stop shop you know oh here you're ready to go you're ready to start because you know who who decides what what those three things are who 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 puts who says that i'm right about about putting those things so and anytime you have like a site that collates that stuff then you have more issues so that's why i really like twitter um anyway back to pitfalls uh as as far as pitfalls go i mean the big one was coin loss right um, so then coin loss comes in cause like at, at the end of the day, that, that is, I, I think the, the two biggest issues, uh, beginners have is, is either, is either you lose your money, which no one wants to lose their money, or basically you inadvertently leak your privacy everywhere. Um, and that could end up resulting in you losing your money at a future date. Uh, so as far as losing your money, um, I I I am pretty sure you got in around the same time I got in, like early 2013. Uh, like back then, it was way, 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 way more difficult for us to securely store Bitcoin. Um, nowadays, we have you can pretty much tell someone uh, get a ledger, treasure, or cold card. Um, I, I as I think there's a huge drop off in hardware quality after those three. So you tell that the, those those three are very reputable. They're used by a lot of people. Um, there's probably no critical errors in them. You can buy one of those, and then this is where it gets difficult. How do you interact with that? You know, do we get we get into the whole? Does does every new user should they all run full nodes? Should they all run this? Should they all you know all, all run that? I think on a base level, just being able to say to someone, go buy this reputable hardware wallet. You know, even take a step back from multi sig or everything. Even take a step back from using your own node. Just you have your hardware wallet. You use their built in UX, which you know from a privacy perspective isn't great. From a sovereignty perspective, isn't great, but at least you know you control your own keys, and you probably you probably won't get hacked. Um, and now that we have all these different methods, it's a very easy thing to say to people: use a couple of them. Don't use the same one. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. If you, if you lose something, you know, because look, we like saying you know don't trust, verify all this stuff. Ninety nine percent of people can't check the code. They're not going to be able to audit the code and look at it. So what's the next best thing? The next best thing is you use wallets that are very popular, that are being used by lots of people, 
and and you use multiple of them in different setups so that if one for some reason one gets compromised you don't lose your your whole stash now like what two days ago or yesterday wasabi announced that they're about to release hardware wallet integration they've already tested it with cold card and trezor um yeah, which are like exciting. my two favorite hardware wallets yeah so now we can tell people download wasabi get a trezor or ledger or a cold card use it with wasabi it'll be the most private light node experience you can have because it all runs through tor automatically built in and if you have your own full node on your computer if you decide that you know i'm ready to to be a full bitcoiner then you can run like pierre's power node launcher on your computer and and wasabi will automatically pull the blocks from your own full node so you'll be able to use your hardware wallet with wasabi through tor um privacy preserving and then also have easy access to coin joins as well at the same exact time so we're 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 close we're slowly getting to this point here where it's becoming way easier to recommend privacy preserving secure coin storage that is like very close to to really mainstream user accessible and then on the on the other side of that equation we have these easy multi sigs that are coming out with casa and unchained capital um each of them have their own trade offs but the the capabilities they're offering on the multi-sig front in terms of UX, in terms of, of user friendliness, is like insane. It's absolutely insane how easy they're making it. And that's only going to get easier. Um, so I think in, in, terms of, in terms of that, which is like the major pitfall for beginners, we're sitting in a, in a really great situation right now compared to where we were even like a year ago, two years ago. I remember during the 2017 run-up, like, there wasn't really that great, you know, it was, yeah, it, it, it was really hard to, if someone said to me, how do I use Bitcoin without leaking all of my transaction data everywhere and still have secure uh, storage? That was like a, that was like, a, let's sit down for two hours and go over how to set up Electrum personal server. And that, that was just a crazy conversation. Like that was just unrealistic. I wasn't going to be able to. It is not scalable in terms of getting people to, to do that method. Right, exactly. And I like what you're saying because it's very easy for people who are more technical to sort of say, oh, you've got to be perfectly cypherpunk and you've got to run full node and Electrum personal server and run and use some combination of hardware wallets with multi-signature and do coin joins. But for a newbie, it's just overwhelming. They just cannot handle that. And I think obviously, let's be real, many of my listeners are not newbies themselves. They tend to be technical. But what I'm hoping to kind of tease out in this conversation is let's put ourselves into the mindset of a newbie and what are the best ways that, you know, many of you know me and my listeners, when we're out there talking to normies, we can try to give them a, an easy way in. So, you know, something like even uh, having a, starting with a basic phone wallet and just having a you know a small play amount of money on there, whatever, 20, 30 bucks worth of Bitcoin, you know, get them on, you know, Samurai Wallet if they're on Android or get them on Blockstream Green. And then once they start to increase the investment a little bit more, that's when you start to go, okay, get a Trezor Ledger or cold card, start to look at Wasabi Wallet, get a desktop wallet going. I think these are kind of hopefully ways that we can point them in the right direction and then hopefully they will then go and learn more as they get into it. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the way that's the way you have to go about it. You can't like you can't be like demanding perfection or expecting you know uh, to them to to go to go to these lengths that um, the more experienced users are going through. Uh, I mean, I remember like we had the the whole samurai controversy where where uh, Greg Maxwell and others were giving samurai a bunch of shit, and they were saying like the alternative is like you should be running. Electrum's uh, personal server and then like Electrum mobile on your phone and then connect them through Tor. I was like, there's no way that anyone is ever going to, like, that's not the user we're talking about here. They're never going to, for 99% of people, like using Samurai is like way better than anything that they would be doing. You can't expect them to set all this shit up. That's not, it's just, it's just not realistic. Um, but we can expect them to not use custodial wallets. I- explain to them early on that it's not your keys, not your coins. Um, you know, the mobile wallet space is better than it's ever been before. There's never been like any major hacks of any of these big mobile wallets. Um, so yeah, so like that's how you have to do it. You got to slowly like get them comfortable, get them used to used to. Um, framing this in the right direction and then slowly they'll they'll improve their setup uh and and they'll they'll learn more and more i the big uh, one of the yeah one of the big pitfalls are these custodial services uh but i think that we've passed the point where they are you know the non-custodial options have gotten so so good that the the advantages of using them is 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 dwindling fast i think yeah, exactly. I think it's really only a lightning thing now at this point. And even that will, I th- hopefully with time, if enough people get onto things like, say, Pierre's node launcher and so on, or even um, they, there are certain wallets that you can use. I know right now, as we you know make this uh, episode now in... Uh, we are well sorry in april in 2019 there is now eclair wallet and you can do a receive transaction on that so even that is an example that you if you want to do lightning just in a quick easy way you can just get eclair obviously it takes a little bit more setup in terms of opening a channel having incoming capacity but again we're still very early in lightning days as well yeah i'm not ready to um i'm not ready to say that that custodial wallets are you know, some people are saying that that we're we just we're not going to have a choice. Like for the smaller users, in terms of Lightning adoption, they're going to be using custodial wallets. I'm not I'm not so ready to to say that that fight is lost. Uh, and then the other one is um, a Breeze Wallet. They just announced, which is um, is an Israeli company. They're not custodial, but they're not truly custodial, but they only open the only channels go through their node so you're still kind of trusting them so that you know there's i i think there'll be a little bit of a uh that's one thing that that bitcoiners will be talking about over the next couple of months is is what is that a trade-off we're willing to make that it's not you technically control your own keys but but they can cheat you out of your money if they wanted to. Um, so is is that a, a acceptable trade off? Is that not an acceptable trade off? You know, I'm really kind of I really like this idea of uh, like a node box in your home. Whether yeah, that's, the noddle. you know, like a 
Yeah, the Noddle. I mean, you have a Noddle too, right? Yep, I got a Noddle. I have a Casa node. Um, obviously, just as I'm a podcaster, I want to be familiar with some of the products. But yeah, my view is I want to see a healthy ecosystem of many of these things, right? I want to see Casa Node, Noddle, Samurai Wallets, uh, right. collaboration with Bitseed, their Dojo product. I want we need to see like many. 10 of them. Yeah, we need a bunch of them. We need like 10. You know, uh, the more the merrier. We have, it looks like we right now we'll have like at least three strong competitors, which is, I, I think, is like a minimum like a minimum amount that like we could go with. But, uh, and then one of the things I like about the dojo, which is nice is the samurai one that's coming out is they're going to release everything so that you can just install, install it on an extra computer you have or something. Um, so you don't even have to buy the hardware from them, which I'm hoping some of these other guys, um, also do, but I, I, I could see, um, our, probably I think our easiest path to getting around uh, this custodial issue will be if if people are able to run nodes at home and then connect everything to that master node. Uh, you know, connect your mobile wallets to it, connect your hardware wallets to it. You know, obviously, connect. You know, all your lightning can go through it. Um, I think that might be like the super user friendly end result that we want. Uh, because once you start, like, I love Pierre's launcher, but like, once you start trying to run these things on, on like the computer you use every day that you're like turning off and turning on and stuff, it becomes way more of a user headache. Uh, and then the alternative there is, is like something like a Claire where you're actually running a lightning node on your phone. Uh, but it's, you know, then what? So then we're managing channels on two nodes cause you presumably also have a node at home. Um, I don't know. We're very early on lightning, so that that can go a bunch of different ways. Yeah, I think you're right there. I think there's different schools of thought, you might say. So some people might like, let's say Pierre gets to a point where he um, gets the node launcher going, such that you can also easily pair it with a mobile wallet and do lightning on it. I, I imagine that might be something he he might be thinking about. Um, and maybe the idea is, yeah, even if you you know, you could just buy a three or four hundred dollar laptop and set that up and leave that on permanently running at home, or obviously just buy a Noddle, buy a Casa, buy a you know Dojo Node sort of thing. Um, and I think the key idea would be having your phone pair it back to your home node. Yeah, I like that idea. I think I think that idea makes the most sense for me in like a distribute because because let's be honest, like we're not just looking for. I personally don't think that we should be stopping with money. Like, I think that we should be pushing for more things to be distributed, particularly um, encrypted communications. And, you know, so you have like the, the free speech element, the privacy element, and that goes hand in hand with... Um, you know, just a distributed network in general. So you can imagine these boxes running everything that like a distributed home of the future would need. Um, you you know, you're going to need to be running either not Tor nodes, probably, hopefully not. Hopefully we have the next generation of Tor, uh, you know, something that works a little bit better. But it basically like you need people to be running, running all different things from their home servers um, in order to enable 
all the good stuff that we that we want to be happening. So you can imagine like a world where people are running Tor, where people are running like distributed file systems, stuff like that. Yeah, and I think the challenge is obviously you know we want privacy in some level, but then what happens is people want convenience, and it's so easy to just you know sign up to a you know an already existing service and this is something i'm slowly trying to change myself as well because in the past i wasn't as you know privacy conscious um about you know thing about some of these things and i think similar to that idea before around sometimes you have to get people in in bitcoin just in a way to get them started in a basic way and then slowly they have to go and learn what are why why is it important for me to go and do these other things have have you used blue wallet yet i have installed it but not actually put any bitcoins or used it i've i've pretty much for from a lightning point of view like on a mobile i've used eclair it is blue wallet is super super convenient it is it is such an easy onboarding experience and it's absolutely horrible for your privacy and you don't have your own keys but the onboarding process is super, super simple. Um, so, so yeah, I do think that you know, it, it, there's definitely there's definitely a balance here where where privacy, you know, all this stuff is is self responsibility and privacy and self sovereignty. Like these things take work; they're not free. They they're actually very costly. Uh, so people are always going to have to, I think, go out of their way um, to achieve these things, and they have to think to themselves that it's worth it. Uh, I, I think the way most people do, unfortunately, learn these things is through pain. They they realize, you know, that they they get a breach or they, they their privacy gets compromised. I mean, one of the things that really woke me up. I was fortunately already very privacy conscious beforehand you know this the snowden revelations woke me up a lot just in general um but what really woke me up is coinbase sent like a you know they had that court case where they, they sent two years worth of of data on certain users um withdrawal addresses purchase history everything uh to the irs and i was one of those users they literally sent all my data um and then, so you have to, you have to, you have to say to yourself, you have this wake up call where it's, it's, if I don't protect my privacy, like no one else will. Uh, and I, I, you know, I, I go back, I, I, I had debates with Murad about this. Uh, he thinks no one will ever care about their privacy. And I, you know, I, it's one of the few things I, I'm like very optimistic about i think that as like we have more information online in general people will start to care more about their privacy and uh and they will take they will they will take action to to protect it it may be that people have to learn the hard way and there need to be more of these leaks that happen and you know facebook data leaks or whatever that puts someone's data out there and then they might now start thinking more about these things yeah and i think uh, yeah i think it's a combination of that and it's a combination of making it as easy as possible for people um you know until a year ago maybe it wasn't easy to do any kind of coin joins or mixing um would like wasabi change that like just a single software project that ran adjacent to bitcoin um all of a sudden 
made uh you know network level privacy like within reach of people uh before that it was just it wasn't even you know i mean i get i used to recommend like centralized mixing services cuz that was like there that was the trade off that i thought was user friendly enough and privacy preserving enough because like I, no one was ever going to use join market like there was no way i was going to be able to walk a beginner through using join market uh and 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 wasabi changed that they they made an easy piece of software that 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 newbies can actually use if they so desire and then all that all that's left is is getting them to desire it in the first place yeah, got to make them want the freedom for themselves, right? Yeah, exactly. What are some other um what are some other kind of common scams or pitfall ways of thinking, right? Um one one example I could bring actually is in you know, over the years as new people kind of hear about Bitcoin, they would come to me because they knew they knew me as like a Bitcoin guy within my kind of real real life circles. And they'd be like, oh, man, how do I do mining? Like, let me set up mining and stuff. Because, And then I would always be pretty much cautioning them, look, unless you're going to like go and invest a lot of money and time, mining is not worth your while. Just buy the Bitcoins, right? And people would see these ads for things like, oh, cloud mining and whatever, right? What are some other ones that you've seen over the years? Oh, mining is such a bad one, man. It's just you can't convince someone that it's a bad investment. You just have to let them do it. Like every single person thinks it's the best fucking idea ever, especially cloud mining. Cloud mining, they're like, oh, I get an ROI. It's a return. It's such a safer investment. I'm like, dude, you're just making a leverage play on Bitcoin. I I had so many people in 2017 who told me that, like, oh, I want to do this cloud mining or I want to do that uh, or I want to actually go into mining who bought a bunch of GPUs and decided they were going to mine shit coins and then pull it over into Bitcoin. And like really at the end of the day, you just got to be like, okay, like I'm just telling you like you, you, you need the price to go up to, to make money here. And if, if the price goes up, you're going to make more money if you buy it. But at the end of the day, they have to, they have to learn that, that, that themselves. I mean, I know I, I did cloud mining when, when I was starting. I thought it was the best fucking idea ever, you know? And the reason I know it's not is because it wasn't. And then I, then I, I quickly learned. Um, I think I got exit scammed by one cloud miner at one point and like the one that didn't exit scam me just like, you know, obviously I didn't get the right ROI on it. Uh, I, I think, yeah, so cloud mining, well, that's actually a really good one. I didn't think about that. Uh, and it's way bigger than people realize. I bet what, I think, what is it? Genesis mining or something. Someone had a, like a big hack, uh, six months ago or a year ago. I want to say it was Genesis Mining. Oh. And the amount of money they lost, I was like, holy shit. I didn't realize people were still doing it to that level. But yeah, so you have that. I mean, you obviously have um, altcoins. Uh, oh, that's ICOs. a huge one. Yeah. Uh, I mean, people don't remember, but like Havelock, Havelock Investments. You remember Havelock Investments? Ooh, I, f- I feel like I've heard the name, but I don't... What, refresh my memory. They were kind of like... I guess like security token offerings before STOs were a thing or whatever. Uh, they they like traded like fake stocks on Havelock Investments, but you couldn't like withdraw them as tokens. Neo and B had their they were on there. Uh, a bunch of miners were on there. I think like ASIC miner was on there. Uh, 
uh, and everyone just lost all the money that they put into Avlock Investments. Uh, into any of, I don't think there was a single. There was like a couple that were profitable for like a little bit, uh, and then everything just fell in on itself. So I mean, I think I think. And like, look, at the end, I'm not like a Bitcoin maximalist that says, you know, you, you, you should never speculate in any of the altcoins or trade them or whatever. Like, fuck it. Like, if you want to gamble on super volatile, illiquid uh, cryptocurrencies, like, absolutely. Like, go have have fun. But it's going to be brutal and like, you probably will get fucked. But that's a major use case of Bitcoin is the altcoin casino. Um, what I would say is the number one thing is if someone tells you that there is no trade-offs, there's trade-offs. So they're lying to you. Like they're either willfully lying to you about there not being trade-offs or they're so fucking dumb that they don't realize that there's trade-offs themselves. Um, so like, that's a huge red flag. Just always just assume there's trade-offs everywhere. And if they're not talking about the trade-offs, then they're, they're intentionally misleading you or, or they haven't done enough research themselves. Mm, right and i think one other thing like again we have to put ourselves because you and i've been around for a little while but you have to sort of put yourself into the mindset of the newbie and like try and understand what's in their mind because i think a big part of it is they feel they missed the boat on bitcoin right they feel like oh if only i bought back in you know whenever whatever year and now i'm not going to get a 10x if i buy a bitcoin now but i might if i go and buy this shitcoin ripple you know there's that whole mentality and i think that is something we as kind of more experienced bitcoiners and probably my listeners have to think about when they're talking when they're out there trying to you know help explain bitcoin to newbies yeah yeah oh yeah like ripple if ripple goes to ten dollars like i'm gonna be this rich or whatever um yeah i i i mean when 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 i got involved in 2013 i thought i was late to the boat uh, I think everyone thinks they're late when they come in, and no matter when you come in. And we're all early. Like, we're all ridiculously early. Um, but it's natural uh, to to think you're late. And I think a lot of the ways people realize that is they kind of get wrecked on, on altcoins, and then they come back. Uh, you know, it's like the same idea as, like, the pain thing. Like, you can tell the five-year-old not to touch the stove like a million times but like he won't touch the stove once he touches the stove he needs to get burnt and then and then he realizes you know oh maybe maybe they were on to something <laughs> uh i th- i think uh and i that was one of the reasons like and it's like it's like crazy to me that and like for a little while there like people were really attacking hodlers like people who were basically saying you know like dollar cost average responsibly uh while that is like the least risky investment strategy you can take in any space especially this space so you know that was one of the reasons why like the whole like i tried like memified the stacking sats idea right because i think that 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 is like the most conservative way that you can get exposure to this space and learn about it uh, in like a slow and steady way with money you're willing to lose. And it kind of, I think part of the reason is it, it, it kind of got it corrupted by altcoiners that were also saying to, to hodl those, to, you know, to become a bag hodler of those, uh, of those shit coins and it kind of corrupted it. But that's, that's really, 
I mean, if you back test it like that, most people can't time bottoms and tops. Like they shouldn't be. Why would they be trying to do that? That doesn't make any sense to me. Oh, I'm I'm a big believer in that as well. I I, I occasionally like to kind of read and uh, sometimes on my you know as, as you know on my podcast I've spoken to people who do do some element of time in the market, but I'm personally I don't really believe you can. I think you just buy and just hold and just regularly um, you know take a position, and that is really the like in my view a safer way to kind of accumulate. I think the thing now uh, the other thing which we have to be wary of here is we put ourselves back into the mindset of like when there's a crazy bull run everyone just loses their mind they're not thinking the straight way and then they're not and even then people are not paying attention to the cooler heads in the room so to speak they're looking at oh look at this crazy new altcoin that's going to pump 10x right yeah i mean in 2017 it was like really hard to keep your head straight i mean i was talking to pierre about this and we both shared similar sentiments that we were very conservative about how we felt about the market in 2017 like kind of up until the point we hit 10k we were like guys like at any point like like we could go back down like just be responsible like only use money you're willing to lose and then once we breached 10k and like we were on our way to 20k like you start going through your head like crazy things like we're just hyper bitcoinization is happening now and you know the cycles <laughs> yeah. got the cycles are over now. All of a sudden, like the cycles aren't the same anymore, and this time is different. And we're just going to the fucking moon. And you better get in now, otherwise, like I can't sell any bit of it because if I sell a little bit, like that's going to be worth so much more in just a year from now. And you really get sc- screwed mentally. So that's why it's really important to to like have a plan, like stick to the stick to the plan and try and I like a, a really good strategy is. At least for people that don't delete on Twitter, it's really nice to go back to different time periods and see, you know, what people were thinking, what people were saying during those time periods to try and get yourself out of your own mental, uh, your own mental head. Um, I was actually I was thinking like one pitfall that I think will become a bigger issue is uh, people holding like centralized altcoins and tokens um, and not realizing that. They're not your keys, not your coins. Um, I mean, your audience, my my audience, probably less likely to have this affect them. But like, for instance, like something like uh, like Binance Coin, um, like that's completely centralized. Yeah. So essentially, any Binance Coin you own are not your keys, not your coins. Like even like there's no you there's no such thing as like cold storage for like a centralized coin because everything can change out from under you. It doesn't matter how you store your own keys. Uh, the whole network can change overnight. The whole thing could be worth zero overnight. Um, so I think we'll have more. Uh, and then the same goes with like pretty much all the ICO tokens of 2017 and whatnot. Uh, and some of the centralized, more traditional cryptocurrencies, I guess, if you want to call them traditional cryptocurrencies, um, you know, something like, uh, I guess like EOS or whatever, like who knows, like you can put it in so-called cold storage for eight months and then you come back and maybe your keys don't work. I don't know, like fucking Larimer's done worse than that before with like bid shares and stuff. So you never know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and I, I think, yeah. Continue. Even with the, even with the, sorry, I was just saying, even with the, um, 
if 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 the coin is continually hard forking, then that also introduces a whole new layer of risk for everyone involved, right? Like, what if the wallets are not um, kept up to date? What if you know you think a certain transaction will work, but it doesn't? It just it brings in a whole new level that I think I really appreciate that Bitcoin you know tries to maintain that backwards compatibility. Yeah, I mean, I think, and this is kind of where. I, I I think the the idea of telling newcomers like don't under any circumstances uh, buy any shit coins because you learn a lot of this from speculating in in shit coins. Like I a, a lot of a lot of the knowledge I have now is because I got burnt I got burnt with with altcoins in the past. Um, I mean, one one thing that's like kind of, I guess, kind of interesting is like in the whenever when I was bored in the depths of, of the last bear market, uh, like I picked up like some vert coin. I, I you know whatever it was supposed to be like ASICs resistance, right? That was right. That was before I realized that ASICs resistance doesn't exist and like that we should be embracing ASICs. Yep. But that was part of my learning process to get there. And so I guess like during the 2017 bull run, like Vertcoin hit like $8 or something crazy. I don't know. Whatever it was, it was like crazy. It was like 20,000 X or something insane in Bitcoin terms. And I was like, Matt, I think, I think you got some Vertcoin. Like, let me go like check this out. And I, I found the wallet and it was encrypted and... The wallet maintainer stopped maintaining the wallet three years prior. No one on the Vertcoin team had done anything to bring that up to spec or whatever. And I was, it was impossible. Like, I wanted to just market dump the coins. I don't even know how much is in the wallet. I was never able to access the wallet. You know, it just wasn't that that was gone. It was just yeah. lost cause, didn't bother trying. I put like a meaningless amount of money in it, like in 2015, and I like, forgot about it. Whatever, but it's a real wake up call that if you don't have, if you're not looking five years into the future, 10 years into the future, 20 years into the future, and how you develop these systems, like you'll, they, they can never be, we can never have like, it'll, it can never be a global standard money, right? Like you can mm. never, there needs to be some assurances that, you know, Marty likes to say, like the man in the coma. You know, like when you wake up out of your coma 10 years later, like you got to be able to access your money. If you can't access your money, then we failed. The project has completely failed. Yeah, that's a good, um, it's a good little story. Nice anecdote there. Um, I've got another idea to talk about as well, actually. It just came to me because uh, let's think about it this way. The scams that were done in the past won't be done in the, the same in the future, right? So scams of the future may be, you know, affinity scams they might be somebody who tries to associate and look like they're you know they're like you they're a real bitcoiner but then actually they are you know maybe they're doing some dodgy software and you trust them with the software and that causes you to lose some of your coins or you know they scam you in some other way so these are things that we have to even think about in the future as well because the scams of the future may rhyme but they may not be the same as the scams of the past yeah i mean i think we have like some really um exciting scams in our future that that we've we've just barely scratched the surface like scammers are a very creative bunch um 
I mean, look at like the ETH scam, the ETH scams we had in 2017. Like, I didn't see that coming, uh, and they like got a lot of money. They got like a, a a decent decent fucking haul. I think ICOs are probably pretty much dead. Uh, hopefully, yeah. Uh, I I think we're going back to the quote unquote fair launch, uh, proof of work coins, um, which I find a lot more tolerable. Uh, I think like the ice, the whole ICO mania was like a, a a very big low for us, and it was it was brought on starting with Ethereum, uh, that showed like the playbook of how to do it, and they all prioritized. ICO development on their platform was like the first thing that they pushed forward and they they all had their hands in it. Um, yeah, but I mean, we already see like the affinity scams kind of like with like the Andy Hoffman's of the world, like pushing B. Rhodium or whatever his like garbage fork is. Uh, People like Richard Hart uh, as well. I was about to say, I was about to drop him. Yeah, I mean, he built up such a reputation. Yeah, he did it intentionally for this. Like, there was no way, like, that was a whole plan. Like, he spends six months, like, courting Bitcoiners, right? And then you just throw it down a shitcoin, you know, runway, and you just hope you get some of them. And it's, like, super easy to monetize without ethics in this space. So, like, uh, yeah, so, like, that'll, that'll be, you know, and who knows? Like, did Kevin Pham sell his account? Like, I don't know. But, like, he could have. He might, he might have. He might still be controlling it and getting paid on the sideline you don't know but that's um some people just lose it as well so it's it's hard to necessarily tell if there's malice there but i i think uh we've always had affinity scams and we always will for sure because uh because they're they're easy they're easy to pull off and a lot of people that that do put themselves intentionally in the limelight in the space do it in so that they can then push, you know, like we have, you know, you have the obvious examples, right? Where you have like the Richard Hart wins and you have the Andy Hoffman's. Um, and then you have like kind of like less obvious ones, um, like like Bruce Bruce Fenton and Ravencoin. Right. Uh, you know, he, he is, is, is that malicious? I think it kind of is. Uh, he like used his position as, as, as like a well-known Bitcoiner, uh, to push that coin heavy. Uh, but is it on the same level as like a Richard Hart win or something like that? Like, I don't know, like, uh, or like a, a Charlie Lee and Litecoin. Um, you know, I have a lot of ill will towards Charlie and Litecoin. Uh, but yeah, I, it's a, it's a very, it's a very, delicate it's it's a very delicate balance i think i think the big the big thing is is if they're not if they're not properly disclosing the trade-offs if they pretend that trade-offs don't exist i think is like a really good measurement of whether or not someone is acting unethically in the space uh i mean i remember you know like well like so Char- one of the big things that Charlie likes to pitch about Litecoin is like it's silver to Bitcoin's gold. Like that makes zero sense. It makes yeah. absolutely no sense. He doesn't care. He knows it makes no sense. He says it anyway. Um, he was he was pushing the whole narrative for a while. He kind of still is. Uh, that Litecoin's like the cheaper way to access the Lightning Network. Uh, like that doesn't make any sense because there's going to be plenty of alt chains that support the Lightning Network, and they're all going to be in a race to have the lowest fees. 
So that's not a sustainable way of, of setting up your network. So either you just race to the bottom and completely destroy your network, uh, or, or you're not going to be the lowest in fees. So someone is going to use Digibyte to fund their lightning channel, you know, and he just <laughs> intentionally ignores that. Uh, so I, I, I do really like the, the trade-offs. And also I, I just think in general, like if you're shilling illiquid tokens and altcoins and you have like a big following, then that's just inherently unethical to a degree because they're just so illiquid that you know you can move the price. Yeah, precisely. And I think, yeah, you're right. I think this whole yardstick of people who lie to you about no, no trade-offs uh, typically, that is in the at least historically, it has proven correct that that person tended to be a scammer or pushing some sort of questionable uh, altcoin. Let's say, yeah, look at like look look at like the block size. Like anyone who was saying that the block size argument was about storage, right? When it's really about mostly about bandwidth. Yeah, uh, and they know that. And they're like, oh, look, this is a one terabyte SD card, you know, like obviously we could do, you know, gigameg blocks or whatever, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, that's, that's, you, you immediately know that they're acting, they're either acting out of bad faith or, or they're, or they're an idiot. And either way, that's not a good thing. <laughs> um, I think... Another one is just KYC. Like, obviously, KYC is difficult, right? They're in, depending on where you are, um, and, like, if you're a newbie, how else do you get coins, right? Like, obviously, the in the past, there was local Bitcoins. Nowadays, there's HODL, HODL and BISC. Um, but it, it, I can, it, you can see how if there's not enough volume, then people will just use KYC services. Yeah, I mean, I... I'm like a huge proponent of privacy and I've only gotten my coins through KYC sources. I, there, you know, it's, this is another one of those things where it's like, you really shouldn't be like, you can't tell noobs to go use BISC. Like, that's crazy to me. Like they, that is way too difficult of an onboarding process and they could just as well get robbed in the process of trying to buy it in the first place. So you you enter all these other risks. I think now that we have things like Wasabi, you just you have to pound it into them early on that if they use a KYC service, which they probably will have to, um, any of their transactions to and from that service can can link all of their other transactions, and they have to make sure that is isolated with Wasabi. Um, I, I think that's like a nice balance, you know, like you use Cash App and you withdraw to Wasabi and then you mix. And so like they like Cash App knows you bought Bitcoin, but they don't know which Bitcoin is yours, I think is like a is like a decent balance. And hopefully, you know, BISC gets more volume, you know, more liquidity. But like right now, it's like it's like kind of unfortunately kind of unusable. I haven't used HODL HODL. They don't allow Americans. And I, because the bank account, but I think with HODL, HODL, like a bank account's involved, right? Yeah, right. Uh, my understanding is there's different ways you can use it and you can use bank transfer as one method. Yeah, so if you use a bank transfer, like it's connected to your name in, in ways. I mean, I was, once you start going down the privacy rabbit hole, it gets, it, you can get really paranoid about it because all it takes is one little thing to mess it all up. Like I was talking to someone like, you know, like looking up an address without a VPN on a on a block explorer, 
you know, that, that can leak your information right there. And people don't even think about that. So you need to get them to use VPNs. You need to get them to get used to Tor. Uh, but even with something like that, like blockstream.info does, it says they don't track and they have like a, a Tor, uh, a Tor address you can yep. use. Uh, we didn't have that before, you know, like now at least we could be like, Okay, like you should be using a VPN, but if for some reason like you forget it, like hopefully, you know, Blockstream probably isn't logging your IP address. It's all it's all very much a balancing act. Yeah, and I think look, if I had to summarize, we're in a much better place now in, you know, April 2019 compared to, you know, early 2013 or whatever. Even December 2017. Yeah, definitely, even from that. I mean, we have kind of easy coin mixing now, coin joining now, and who knows what's coming next. And the other challenge is just kind of keeping material up to date, right? So even if I took, if I just, you know, spent all my time making a newbie guide, it would be out of date within, say, six months. I did that. I fucking did that. And it was out of date quicker than that. You know, like I was like walking people through how to use like blockchain.info and mycelium and stuff. And then I was like, basically, once that, once that went out of date, I was like, Matt, I'm done with long form content. I'm not doing any of this shit anymore. Like if other people do it, I will signal boost them. But that's why I really like, I, you know, I really like Twitter. I really like the podcast because I'm able to get as much content out there as possible, help as many people out there as possible without putting in too much time because the space changes so much that I would just be updating it forever. Like I would never, you can never like just stand still. Uh, in terms of like best practices like I feel like in like two months I'm going to be saying like oh there's probably another best practice that you should be doing instead Mm, yeah yeah well I think um that's a insightful comment and we yeah just have to kind of keep updated and as bitcoin people who like us like you and I and you know probably our listeners as well uh tend to be the hardcore listeners hardcore bitcoiners so it's uh, it's kind of on us to go and figure out what are the simple ways for newbies and try to help our newbie friends oh hey you know don't uh, uh, you know use use coin mixing and use uh these tools have you got any um kind of last comments around there uh, around this stuff that you you know you think we haven't touched on well i i think two things uh i think it's really important that all of our listeners go out of their way to help their friends and family we like we need like a knock on effect. Like you kind of mentioned it earlier that you had like a lot of people coming to you because you were the Bitcoin guy like in 2017, and like I had the same thing. And that's one of the reasons why I do the podcast and I do Twitter and stuff. It was because I was answering the same questions over and over again with my friends. I might as well do it for others as well. But I think like one of the best assets we have at our disposal is that we have all these Bitcoiners that are super enthusiastic, that are super engaged with the project. Um, and it's up to them to help guide, you know, like 10 or so friends and family down the right path as well. And like, hopefully for those people, they have good people that are guiding them. But I think that like, we're increasing that base of people that can do that. And then they can go and because at like the end of the day, like, you can respect what what you say, but like, they, they're not going to be taking straight advice from some guy in Australia that they've never met or some guy in New York that they've never met um, to, to actually hear it from a friend that they trust, a family member that they trust that's, that's willing to sit down with them and like set up a treasure with them um, is like a huge, huge bonus for that person. That person is able to enter the space in a way more comfortable situation than they would otherwise. So I think it's, 
it's on us and it's on all of our listeners to to pay it forward if if you had someone help you get into the process like you help someone you know get through the process um and then the other thing is like it's really hard doing what we do when we have people that own like bitcoin.com and blockchain.com like actively working against us and and yeah. like one of the things i always forget when i talk to beginners is like i actually have to tell them you have to tell them like straight up like ignore bitcoin.com ignore blockchain.com don't ever even go to the the, the anything you see on those sites could just be garbage like don't don't go to it uh, all the big news sites like CCN, don't go to it. Bitcoinist, don't go to it. NewsBTC, don't go to it. Like that's ridiculous. Like that's absolutely ridiculous. That doesn't exist in any other space where like if someone was like interested in iPhones, it wasn't like, oh, like if you go to iPhone.com, like you're going to get wrecked. Like that's ridiculous. <laughs> that's a good point. I didn't think of it that way, but you're right. That's one of the little things we never, I never, I always forget about that. Like Bitcoin.com is like not a good site. Don't don't go to that. Yeah, there's a lot of um, pitfalls in this space. So hopefully, um, hopefully this uh, discussion has helped uh, our listeners at least point their their newbie friends the right way. Um, so look, Matt, maybe I'm pretty sure pretty much all my listeners know who you are, but just in case any of them don't, um, tell them where they can find you. Uh, so I'm on Twitter at Matt Underdash Odell. Uh, my DMs are open. Uh, I'm on Keybase, Wire, Telegram, all under Matt O'Dell. You can reach me there if, if you don't want to go through Twitter DMs. Uh, my PGP keys on Keybase. Always happy to help. Uh, I do a, a weekly review podcast with Marty Bent on uh, Tales from the Crypt. Uh, if you go to tftc.io, you can you can get that feed. He does interviews like Stefan does, and and uh, and I do. Uh, I do a weekly review podcast with him and and part of a part of what that podcast is for is that you know I listen to a bunch of other podcasts I follow a bunch of people on Twitter I'm in a bunch you know get a bunch of newsletters I'm looking at the news and stuff Marty's looking at the news and we try and distill stuff uh that that is actually important that isn't filled with all the noise and all the bullshit uh that this space is 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 dominated by Fantastic. And yeah, I definitely recommend for any of my listeners who are not already subscribed to Tales from the Crypt, go subscribe to that. It's a fantastic podcast. Um, lastly, thanks very much for your time, Matt. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, it's been an abs- absolute pleasure, Stefan. Thanks for having me. Hope you guys found that useful. I think as Bitcoiners, we've got to take it on ourselves to help educate our friends and family into doing this the right way. Um, and lastly, yeah, just make sure you tell your friends to subscribe to the podcast and hopefully that's one way that they can get onboarded to Bitcoin in a better way than falling prey to all the shitcoiners and blockchainers out there. Thanks guys. See you next time.